Welcome to Dream, Declare, Deliver with your host, Chris Carell. Join us each week as we explore how to live a life by design by applying the tools and techniques of emotional intelligence and personal transformation. Here's Chris. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dream, Declare, Deliver. I'm your host, Chris Carell, and um, I have the great delight uh, today of having um, my dear friend, Stacy Feiner, Dr. Stacy Feiner, um, uh, as a guest today, uh, you know, talking about learning to feel and, and some of the concepts of emotional intelligence. Stacy's a business psychologist, um, par excellence. She, she's been working in the field for quite some time. Um, we, we won't, we'll just raise our eyebrows at that and not, and not say how many years and, and so on, but, you know, very successful career working with businesses, with family run businesses, with, you know, um, complex organizations and all around the field of psychology and, and business psychology. So, um, so Stace, first of all, thank you for, for, uh, you know, doing this. It's, it's wonderful, uh, to have you here. I always love our conversations and, and, and so, you know, want to start off um uh by by just asking the general question you know i contend that we need to learn to feel again that that you know we've gotten as a society to a place where you know where we're disassociated from our feelings where we're numbed out too often um where we don't have a sense of of what the role of emotion is and how valuable that is and so you know, so why do we need to do that? Why do we need to talk about learning to feel, in your opinion? <laughs> well, I agree with the things that you're saying, Chris, and I am glad to be here, and I do love the conversations that we have. So I th- I hope our riffing is relevant to your <laughs> listeners. Um, I mean, the first funny thing I would just say is how funny or ironic it is that the most, um, you know, the most relevant or real thing about us is our emotions and Mm -hmm. we are so far removed we need a lesson on what they are and how to use them so i think that is um it's ironic and funny we should take some we should take stock in just the concept of human beings who feel by their very nature needing a lesson on emotions so that's yeah, I mean, uh, how do we get there e- even, you know, maybe it's more important, uh, not so much how did we get to this place, but why is it important? You know, why do we, we were evolved with emotions? And, and I really think that, you know, uh, it, it really dates back to our, our forebearers, you know, way back in, in prehistory where we, you know, em- emotions were what what we had in common it was it was what we drew together with um mm. and 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 so a lot of people and most of the field of psychology say that we evolved as emotional beings first um and and that was part of our survival um system mm. so uh, you know well uh yeah i mean we can that we can go that far back and we can look at the the brain and the frontal lobe and the uh, amygdala and, and we i'm i'm not you know a, a brilliant brain scientist or <laughs> neuroscientist but i mean certainly our brain is the is the machine or the it, it's the control tower it happens in our brain um some of those things can be charted and light up on a on a screen or a scan and 
our mind doesn't, you know, some things about our mind, our spirit, our emotion, we don't really mm. have a location for them. So yeah. I think in some ways, um, you know, just looking at business today, we like the numbers and the tangible. And we are, um, you know, the the model, the system that we're living in likes the numbers and the tangible and what is intangible or or uh, hard to see or intu- intuitive yeah. is discredited. Yeah. And so um, we, I think, what happens is is we have naturally kind of gravitated away from emotion, uh, or at least thinking about our emotions, and over credited or over uh, estimated the power of thought. When really thinking is the byproduct of emotion, and thoughts are superficial compared to emotion. Yet yeah. we seem to like to use thought over emotion. Well, and, and you said it yourself, it's, it's like the prefrontal lobe has taken dominance over the rest of the brain when, in fact, the rest of the brain still exists and works quite fine. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and in brain science studies, what they notice is not only does the whole brain light up when we're um, faced with emotional stimuli or things like that, but, but also the brain stem, the, the, the whole spinal column, the heart. Um, and they're, they're actually now believing that the heart is, is as much involved in, in emoting and thinking and feeling as, as the brain itself. And, and so, you know, we're a whole system is what research is now finding. And, and so we bring that, we bring that with us wherever we go. And yet, you know, businesses said, you know, leave that in the parking lot. You know, like, don't bring that crap into work. You know, don't bring your emotions well, to work. That's the irony, too, Chris, is that those leaders who have said leave the emotion in the parking lot come to work angry. They show up yelling at their employees, mm-hmm. their patient. And those are all mm-hmm. emotions. Yeah, right. So, right. I mean, this notion that emotion is dangerous or, you know, our leaders, when they are when they are not self-aware, are using a lot of negative emotion. Yeah. So, Emotion is not, we can talk about not using it or leaving it in the parking lot, but what we're really saying is kind of the feminine or the emotional or the nurturing or the vulnerable emotions are not allowed in business, but the dominant, angry, masculinist, demanding, masculine um, emotions are. So are you saying... Are you saying that it is a you know a gender kind of driven thing because business had had you know kind of evolved as a masculine dominated um, arena for so many years? It's only in the last you know twenty years that we've really seen r- women rising in the ranks. There's still a massive glass ceiling, and we still have you know so much inequity. So that it is kind of male dominated. Do you think that that's Part of the denial process of of uh, the role of emotions. Uh, I think yes. I think it's complex, and there are lots of origins to where we are today. Mm, I yeah, would say that there is a system, and the system has a way of justifying itself mm-hmm. uh, by looking at certain statistics or 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 evaluating certain statistics that justify the system of leadership that or business that we work in, but. I think we all suffer, men and women suffer together when we don't have the full expression mm-hmm. of our emotion and when uh, women are discredited and, you know, men are chided 
you know, women are discredited for their for their some of our qualities and men are chided yeah. if they demonstrate right. human qualities that don't typically uh, are, are, aren't super hyper masculine. Right. So we all suffer in the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's that's I don't know. It's fascinating. So there's two parts of it. There's really the, the expression uh, of the emotion, but there's also the awareness of like what's behind our emotion and what, and what causes that, you know, emotional intelligence first, first quadrant is self-awareness. It's, it's really, you go nowhere in emotional intelligence until you first become aware, not of like my persona, not of my resume, you know, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the me that I want to project as an image of myself, but being aware of how I operate and what's really going on inside of me and what causes me to do what I do, you know? Yes. Yeah. So we, we really got to get, you know, into the awareness function and, and, and teach, teach people, um, and, and yeah. like you said at the beginning, it's really kind of sad that we've gotten to this place where, you know, the most fundamental of human functions um, it, it is are unavailable to us. Are unavailable. Invisible. We have to yeah. teach, and we right. have to teach it. Right. So, and you know, I would say so. I would just um, when thinking about emotions and and the value of them and the importance of them, um, you know, sometimes I think about it as we go from self-awareness mm-hmm. to emotional awareness mm-hmm. to emotional maturity to emotional confidence. So when I coach Ooh. business leaders, right, um, yeah. they, they are responsible for themselves and 150 other people or 100, you know, mm-hmm. 1,500 other people times four. Though All those people who are employed by that business owner have families of four, mm-hmm. let's just say. So yeah. it's always a multiple of four. And they can't look over their shoulder and say, hmm, I wonder who else is going to make sure that my culture is well is well run or mm-hmm. my people are well taken care of or they're productive or I'm getting the highest profitability because I have a culture that allows people to perform at their highest level. So right. they can't they can't look over their shoulder and expect somebody else to do that. So the conversation first starts with the business owner and they need more emotional awareness maturity and confidence mm-hmm. so that they can be present for the emotional needs of their employees or their stakeholders. Yeah. Say more about emotional maturity. I love that term. Well, emotional, you know, so it's self-awareness. First, right, we have to yeah. be self-aware. We need to recognize ourselves in, in relation to others. Mm-hmm. You know, what my self-perception is and how the world sees me as well. Then we move into emotional uh, awareness. So I'm mm-hmm. aware and recognizing that emotions um, are the feeder of decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, every decision yeah. is based on an emotion. Right. And then from there, we go into emotional. Uh, did I say maturity? Maturity. Yeah. Maturity. Yeah. And then and emotional maturity has to do with I uh, is closer to emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And then emotional confidence is I can be there for the needs of others. And I can mm-hmm. find solutions that meet the needs of many. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, so, so I'm a caretaker of the, I'm a steward of this yeah. uh, larger organization. You know, and, and the, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I can, we can, what I was, you know, jumping back to was, you know, starting with emotional awareness and self-awareness, um, not as a state that you can get to, but as a process, you know, what I, 
must become aware of is that I'm constantly evolving as a process and that everything is not, you know, uh, uh, because I am this fixed entity, I will always, you know, do such and so. That's a logic mind that, you know, that, uh, that, that really isn't a human construct. So, you know, becoming self-aware and emotionally aware is really becoming aware of the process that I'm always in, the flow that I'm always in. Well, that's growth. So as human (laughs) beings, we're always in the process of growth. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's another challenge to the, um, the emotional equation is that we often don't recognize our own growth. We also often don't recognize that we have shifted our thinking or adapted or, or progress to a new emotional Mm -hmm. state. I mean, Mm -hmm. when people want to grow, what they're doing is they're growing from one state to a higher state. That's growth. Right. So it's, I think it's important to recognize we are, when we are self-aware and we are proactive in our own growth and development, we are moving to higher Mm -hmm. order of, of our emotional, psychological, sociological well-being. And at the same time, it's a death rebirth type growth. It's, it's a letting go of this level so I can get to that level. So it, it, what inhibits a lot of people's personal growth, I think, is they don't like the feeling of the death rebirth. They don't like the, the feelings associated with loss of control of, you know, cause like I'm happy at this level here. It works well. I'm doing okay. Thank you very much for sharing. I don't want to have to let go of this in order to go to there. And, and mm-hmm. so that perceived pain and I'll call it a pain, um, is, is, a, what inhibits a lot of people's growth and also their lack of awareness of that process that they're in as an emotional beings, you know, they're not aware that it's not a pain. It's actually just an attachment. It's a cognitive attachment that they're having mm. um, that their ego doesn't want to let go, mm. but it's not, that's not an emotion. So it takes emotional awareness to really understand mm that growth process, uh, you know, the, oh, what I, I call death rebirth um, kind of process that we have in, in, in growing, you know, I, I, yeah. uh, who is it that said, you know, like we only grow when the pain of being here is greater than the pain of going to the next level. Right. So, you know, we do more to avoid pain than we do to, to gain pleasure. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think of when I think of working with athletes that I've had the privilege to work Mm -hmm. with at the beginning of COVID um, or the beginning of the pandemic. And I got some seemingly random calls from uh, athletes saying that they were in um, they were in a funk. Yeah. And that that was a really painful experience because they are used to waking up every day maybe dreading their routine, but hungry for it, you know? This, yeah, right. This, yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and so just to, to riff on that for one second, Chris is uh, when I got started with my first athlete and he called and he said he was in a funk, I was a little bit, you know, curious about what that funk was or what that meant. And mm-hmm. I said, and I, I gravitated towards something I thought he was aware of is, you know, well, what's a slump? So when we started comparing these words, being in a slump versus being in a funk, he became more confident in the conversation because he could grapple with the idea of a slump. 
Yeah. And then kind of I could be the 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 uh, informant on a funk. And we came to this understanding of words and and the the imposition of emotions and the opportunity of emotions and the need for emotions and the the tension, the relevance of the tension. So mm. all of those things kind of came up in those conversations. So some people are gravitate to this curiosity. Yeah. Um, some people enjoy it. I mean, I've many times said to my clients, you know, this is fun. And they're like, no, Stacy, this is not, fun. not. It might be rewarding, but it is not fun. Not fun. Right, right, right. But I find so, it fun because I have so yeah. much confidence in people's ability to grow and grapple Amen. with these things and the yeah. capacity that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you make a real important distinction there. And, and well, that is the, the, the important function is that the distinction between a, a funk and a slump, you know, and, and, and what, you know, I always joke about the fact that I deal with a lot of, uh, emotionally binary, uh, humans, you know, that, that their, their emotions are good and bad or not so good and not so bad or kind of good and kind of, you know, like they really only have those two classifications of up and down. Um, and so your athletes, you know, we're lumping everything yeah. together in this funk and, and just the ability to name things as distinct from each other you know, gives them, you oh, know, a, sure. a, an opening to be able to move. A hundred percent. And I think moving is exactly the word. And mm -hmm. sometimes when I work with people, and again, this is still in the, in the realm of emotion, right. And right. for your listeners, yeah. you know, this is still, this is sometimes a tool, which you, which you kind of spoke to is when you're trying to solve an emotional, when you're trying to understand how you feel emotionally, mm -hmm. sometimes it's good to write down, literally write down the sentence like um you know i i i i feel sad and i really want to feel happy or whatever whatever that yeah. challenge is. and then go to the the underline the keywords yeah. and go to the thesaurus and replace those words and then come up with about 10 new sentences yeah so is it sad is it lonely is it um despair is it disappointment is it um you know, is it just drama? You know, what yeah. are those things? And then it gives you an opportunity to say, okay, depending on how I define my my feelings will determine how I solve for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, some of the people, some of us who work in the field of emotion have come up with these these lexicons, you know, these big, you know, like the 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 Wilcox wheel of, you know, all the different emotions that she had on 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 that wheel or, or right. you know, uh, Pluchik's, Robert Pluchik's, um flower kind of blossom thing that he had or, or, you know, my periodic table, you know, I wanted to be able to give people. Uh, associated words that were similar but different or distinct right. from each other so that they could understand that there was a difference between frustration and anger. You know, the, those, those are kind of in the same territory, but they're, they're really different emotions origins. and they mean the origins are different. Exactly. Their origin is different. Their direction, you know, cause emotions really tell us, I always love the fact that the, the word motion is in emotion that, that, you know, emotions really tell us where to go, what to do. And, and so their message is different, even though they're similar in feel in the mm -hmm. gut, uh, feel of frustration and anger. Um, or whatever we pick, sadness and, and grief or, you know, any things that are, you know, along, along a similar gradient. Um, you know, 
they their origins are different, their directions are different, where you go with them is different. And so, you know, what's really valuable about really, you know, the, the beginning of naming of of having the distinctions between different emotions is that that we start to understand then well what caused this emotion what's the source of that and what does that mean then that I should do what are the actions because you know sandwiched between our our brains uh, you know our our thoughts and our beliefs and the things that are embedded in our 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 brains as as our history as the context from which we perceive everything through which we perceive everything and the actions emotions sit right in the middle of that you know so we have this you know this this organ up here that's collected all this information so new stuff comes in it says or good or yum or yuck or whatever and and then we take action we have an emotion and and the emotion and feeling you know move us in a certain direction so we, we are crippled when we don't have that central, you know, that keystone right. in the center. Right. Um, blind, what, huge, huge blind spots. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, when we just going back a little bit, because I think there's more to say also about emotional awareness and uh, self-awareness is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Darwin, I think was oh no, Descartes said, I think therefore I, I am. am. Right. Yeah. But I think what's more true is, you know, I emote. And therefore I am. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, you know, the thought being his, the word think, and again, I'm not a Darconian and I'm not yeah, yeah. an interpreter of this, of his philosophy or such. But um, I think the notion of thinking is that self-awareness. We can self-observe. Yeah. We can observe yeah. ourselves. And I think once we do that, then it's recognizing that our mind we have a mind that we often allow our mind to have a mind of its own. But self-awareness <laughs> right. allows us to use our mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to direct our thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and because our, our mind, our thoughts can often take us down a negative path. They often do. So if our mind pays attention and directs our thoughts and our feelings, pays mm-hmm. attention to those things and directs them in an, in a, in a, uh, in a way um, that is more useful to us, uh, more positive, but not, not this blind positivity, but useful to us mm-hmm. so that we can recognize again, the origins, the outcomes, the, um, allowing the environment to impact us so heavily, um, you know, recognizing that breathing and being present and coming back into ourselves is a source of power of our own power. Mm-hmm. We begin to use more of our senses and our mind becomes um, really uh, a piece of very valuable equipment to, to our Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're speaking into something that's, that's an ancient, um, philosophical premise, really, you know, Buddhist thought is, is there's the eye that is the beholder and the eye that it sees, you know, so when you say the sentence, I see myself as this kind of person, there's the, there's the person that I see myself as, and then there's the eye that sees it. So when Descartes said, cogito ergo sum, you know, I see you know, I think, therefore I am, you know, um, it's, it's the observer eye that he's speaking of. Um, 
and the M is is what the observer is seeing. You know, so when we get the ability to, you know, become observers of ourselves, you know, which is the self-awareness thing you were talking about earlier, it's like when we get the maturity to say, oh, this is not who I am. I am I am the eye that sees. This is just an ego, um, uh, 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 a little constructed image, you know, that I've made that, you know, that I believe myself to be. Um, and most people and a lot of people that I work with live in that image. They don't live in the eye. That's the, the, the viewer, the, the, you know, the seer um, of themselves. They're well, not, how, that's you know, the awareness. And translating that into into the work with business owners or leaders mm. or athletes. Um, I, I do, I, you know, I, I do think the, the philosophy of it is so important. It's the existential, you know, uh, place that we should go more often. It's, you know, it's where imagination, you know, and, but practically sometimes uh, leaders are, you know, they, you know, um, pontificating maybe sometimes is difficult for them or, mm. or, you know, kind of, so, thinking about it in terms of um, reflection. So there are three kinds of thinking, reflective thinking, critical thinking, and and uh, future thinking or forward thinking. Mm -hmm. And so this mm, is one way to capture what you were saying. So most leaders are critical thinkers. They have to be. That's mm -hmm. why you have 80% of the information, you know 80% of the information, and you're making decisions based on that 80% of information that you know, and 20% speculative. You know, you right. don't, yeah. you can... Then forward thinking is when you have 50% of the information and 50% of the information you don't know. And you have to, um, you have to fill in the blanks. You have to do some, uh, crit uh, thinking about, um, how, how do I usually say it? Um, um, abstract thinking. You have to look yeah, at these yeah. concepts and, and fill in the blanks. Extrapolate. Right. Extrapolate. Yeah. yeah. To make good decisions. And a lot mm -hmm. of leaders are terrible in that level because that's a level of ambiguity. And yeah. ambiguity is the hardest state of mind or emotional state to operate in. Mm -hmm. So forward thinking is difficult, but most people think that forward, think is, forward thinking is where innovation comes. But that is not the case. Mm -hmm. Forward thinking comes with reflective thinking. When you're able to di uh, dissect, uh, so let's say you're watching tape, you're an athlete and you're watching tape. What you're really looking for is not the things that you did or they did. You're looking for the things that you missed. What variables did you miss? What did mm -hmm. we not prepare for? What right. happened in our right. environment mm -hmm. that we could not have in anticipated? And how did we react in those moments when we didn't expect the variable? Yeah. And it's in that reflective thinking, that third eye that you talk about, that mm -hmm. self-observer, where we can really, um, I was going to say master, but it's not really master, where we can really harness and and um, and capture the the strength of what happens within our own minds, within our own sensations, within our own patterns of behavior, with our desires for the future. That's reflective thinking is where all of those things come together. So for leaders, really, the simplest way to become more self-aware is to do more reflective thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Reflective thinking is so valuable to do out loud with a coach who is um, witnessing mm 
mm-hmm. and listening and adding. So it's very, it's very um, generative. Sometimes when you do reflective thinking alone, it can be a little bit imploding. You can implode. So that's why it's so great to be able to think aloud and do reflective thinking. Well, and it's really that analytical reflective thinking that allows, you know, athletes and leaders to get even more efficiency out of their critical thinking, um, moving the 80% down to 60% and out of their, their forward thinking, moving the 50% down to 40%. You know, so that, you know, when you're working with a, with a superior athlete or really, you know, top level executive, a high performer, what they are able to do because they've done the reflective work, because they've done the analytical work, they're able to recognize patterns and constellations of information much more readily in the critical thinking and in, and then projecting into the forward thinking, they're able to recognize the context and contextualize it in a way that gets them much faster. You know, if well, you ever stood at a baseball, you know, home plate and had a real pitcher, not, you know, not your friend or your, your buddy throw a ball at you, a real pitcher throw a 90 mile an hour at you. I start swinging after the catcher has already caught the the ball. My practice in critical thinking and forward thinking are not developed at all in that area. So I I just, I fan the air and it's already way too late. That's what, again, an athlete is able to do that real time that's so fast, but it's because they've done that, they've They've looked at the tapes. They've done the analytical thinking and and they now have refined that decision well, process. I think it's fascinating that that uh, we're talking about this because part of what we're saying too is when you do that reflective thinking in the moment, you're much more willing and, and able to trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. You don't have mm-hmm. to think. I mean, I think Malcolm Gladwell writes about it in terms of choking yeah, thin versus- slicing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Oh, when he talked about thin slicing, choking versus, yeah. yeah. Well, it's choking versus um, panicking. Yeah. I think it's choking versus panicking. Uh And, uh, you know, panicking is when you're being attacked by a shark and you have no place to go. But choking (laughs) is when you have the facility Mm -hmm. to make better decisions, but you second guess yourself and you go back to the remedial and you don't trust your instincts and you don't operate on instu- intuition and instinct. So, so you're calling yeah. it intuition and instinct, but it, you know, where does emotion fit into that? You know, like that, let's get, bring it back, put it back to emotion. Well, because I think when you are not distracted, when you are not, when you are, I think that is emotion. I think mm. when you trust yourself to operate intuitively, that's an emotional state. That's a mm-hmm. self-aware and self-confident and emotionally um, focused. I yeah. think that's what that comes from. Yeah. It's from yeah. all of that practice. And yeah, again, I think when, so when you are in circumstances that are unfamiliar to you, you can draw on your own confidence that you've done, you know, these, these uh, practices or these rehearsals or these uh, experiments with yourself, these what yeah. if experiments with yourself. Right. You know, it's funny because when I start working with a business owner and and our expectation, his or her expectation is for, um, I offer them the opportunity to to see their whole ecosystem and to be in control and in charge of their whole ecosystem. And in this ecosystem, there are 20 universal dynamics. So there's a lot going on. Um, We don't, and, and they agree that they want 
they want to achieve excellence in all aspects of this ecosystem. Who wouldn't? Like everybody mm-hmm. would want to say yes to right. that. Right. So it's an easy thing to say yes to. It just can feel daunting. And so the first phase of this process is we don't do anything. We just we just visualize what the mm-hmm. end goal is, what all of the steps are towards that end goal. And then we visualize what it will take from, from ourselves. Mm-hmm to go get through, to move through each obstacle, to move through each milestone, to connect the dots, to recalibrate, to course correct, to push other people forward, to move this whole organism forward. Before we do anything, we think it through. Yeah, We we visualize the process. I call it conceptualize the process. And the reason that's so important is because as the leader, you need to be confident and aware, self-aware, of of your own tendencies and your own triggers and your own potential and your own strength. And you need to speculate on the strengths and the weaknesses of others in the environment. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, so first off, I have to interject and say, you know, already we've hit our, our 30 minute limit and, okay. and I would love to continue this conversation because I, I think what you're, you're hitting on is, is really vital. Um, and and what the question I would would have, you know, that we could you know continue riffing on if we want to, um, is you know I, those kind of leaders who who have that maturity and and you know have done the visualization, they know where they're going, they know what it, you know with the component parts of it, but the other critical factor that they bring to the party is they have this. Um, one, one leader I worked with said he has this spidey sense. You know, he, he, you know, uses his intuition. He uses, he's able to listen not to what people are saying, but to why they say what they're saying. And so he engages with his employees, uh, and it's just masterful. He engages with his employees at their source. You know, which is really that, you know, that stuff that we we're talking about before the emotion comes out. So he's able to work with them to know how they're feeling and, and, and to know what their source is and move them in a direction that really helps them and helps the business at the same time. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a brilliant um, element of leadership. And I would love to talk more about um you know, leadership and emotions and how we, how we use emotions not to manipulate or to direct people or manage people as, as, you know, the Goldman model would talk about it, but really how to respond effectively and to, you know, to, um, uh, motivate internal combustion engines in each of the employees that we work with. Um, would you be able to come back and talk more or can oh, we continue sure. this conversation or yeah, something? Let's do that, Chris. I, I have I, lots I of ideas for that. I know. It's, it's. I mean, that's why I love talking with you because we just could yeah. go for two hours, I'm sure. So um, well, I do want to... And I also like being thoughtful about, you know, who's listening in mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what would matter to them about uh, what we're saying because we love, I mean, we love the... Um, the complexity of emotion and we mm-hmm. have experienced the power of it and the value of it and the um, inspiration that comes from it. But really, you know, we've, we've come into a system right now that we, you know, we, we live in, we were born into it and it, um, it, it credits, you know, a, a dominant 
uh, approach and it discredits a connective approach. And what we've learned is that these, yeah. what we what we've come to what we've what we have been brought, born into is that they don't coexist. And what we're right. saying and what we want the audience to believe is that, you know, emotional it's connectivity yeah. is also uh, exists also for profitability yeah. for for relevance, but in order to, you know, it's not one or the other. And yeah, we set them up as odd, at odds with each other. You're either this or that. And, and this isn't the good thing. And that is the good thing. And, and it really is, you know, a whole system. It, it, you know, like the, the human being is both logical and emotional and, um, and physical and spiritual. And, you know, all of those things rolled into one. And when we and deny social. any part of Mostly it, we're social. Yeah. Mostly we're social, absolutely. Mostly we're social, um, and so our emotions really do need mm-hmm. to be useful in developing connection with others. Absolutely, so yeah. I'd love to talk more, Chris. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. We'll set up another one and, right. and continue. Okay.